Good to get going. This is always, you know, the best time of year, quite frankly, if you like college football. And, um, you know, I think one thing about it, the excitement uh, of a new season never gets old. Coach, we couldn't agree with you more. It is a new college football season. And with all due respect to week zero, it is officially upon us. Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Thursday, September First, we hope you enjoy the show wherever you're getting the show, whether that's on the ESPN YouTube channel. We saw you in the comments, by the way. If when I say like, rate, and subscribe, the only thing you can do on the ESPN YouTube channel is like and subscribe. You can rate it if you go to the Apple Podcast or the Spotify Podcast page for Always College Football. But if you're only going to give us four stars, three stars, two stars, or one stars, don't bother rating it. Five stars only when it comes to the ratings. We really appreciate you being with us. It's going to be a great show today. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. Our game plan changed up considerably with the news dump that was yesterday. In case you were living under a rock, there were like 17 things that were addressed in the national media about the future of college football. We won't get to it all today. We're going to talk just a little bit about the pending meeting coming up on Friday in regards to college football playoff expansion right you heard that right college football playoff expansion it might be closer than you think and we're gonna hit some of the biggest matchups in our gimme five version two here for week one so biggest matchup for the week the five biggest in our eyes we'll get into those from every possible angle and then finally it's college colors day which i didn't know was a day but i'm all for it so we'll listen in to some of our good friends about their take on college colors. So we have a lot to get to and a lot to look forward to. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. Hi, this is ESPN's Mike Greenberg, and ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sports book of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today, and new users get $100 in bonus bets for making any sports book bet. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, let's talk about it. Yesterday, just a massive news dump. It's almost as if it was like Friday afternoon and they're just trying to bury things, but that wasn't the case. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated was all over it. There were a few things addressed yesterday. One was NIL. Okay, we're not going to get into that. Two was the transfer portal and windows in which you can enter and exit the transfer portal. That was two. Three was the Big 12 media rights negotiation. It started. But those three things are off-season conversations. We have plenty of time in February and beyond to talk about those angles. One thing that could, however, affect college football in the near term is the possibility of college football playoff expansion. And we know this, that the College Football Playoffs Board of Managers will hold a virtual meeting on Friday that could accelerate playoff expansion as early as 2024. 
Now, if the 11 presidents and chancellors who comprise the sport's most powerful group, if they vote unanimously, then we could potentially see a 12 or a 16 team playoff. Now, there's a sense that this has moved really quickly. We know that it was voted down back in January 8 to 3. There were people associated with the alliance that didn't like the format or how it was going to go or the exclusive negotiation window, how it was structured, the automatic qualifiers, all that stuff. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We have games coming up tonight. We have games tomorrow and we have games on Saturday. But this is, I think, somewhat significant, especially if this gets accelerated. Now, a couple of issues. How many automatic qualifiers are there going to be? Will there be any? Will there be six? Will it be the six conference champions with the highest ranking? Will it be the power five plus one? I want to know the structure. That's the first question. Two. Will it be 12 or 16? I'm adamantly opposed to a 16-team playoff. I, I don't think we need that many. 12 is perfectly fine, and at least it protects a little bit of the integrity of the bowl games. Plus, do we really think there's 16 teams capable of winning a national championship? I personally don't think there is, but that's a conversation that we can have down the road a little bit. And I worry somewhat, somewhat, if we get to an expanded 16-team playoff, it will become more about brand notoriety as opposed to what you've actually done on the field. At least there's some limitations when it comes to a 12-team playoff because if we expand from 12 to 16, I think we'll just have two more SEC teams, two more Big Ten teams to call it a day. Is that good for anybody? I personally don't think so. Here's the other thing that I'm a little bit curious about. Now, for a while now, there has been a long conversation about player safety and the amount of games that are being played. Is that just completely gone? Are we done having that discussion? Because I'm perfectly okay with us moving into a scenario where teams could play as many as 17 games. I'm okay with that. The NFL plays 17 games. I don't think it's the end of the world. They also play three preseason games, and I know those games don't really count, but you know, for a lot of the teams that might be playing 17 games, when they play against, say, an FCS opponent, it's the equivalent of a preseason game. You play your starters for a quarter and a half, and you call it a day. So I don't have an issue with a 17-game season for the teams that compete in the national championship. Of course, that's the most that they would ever play. But what I have an issue with is the fact that if we have 85 scholarship players, that's more than enough to get through a 17-game schedule. But what we need to do is we need to get rid of the redshirt rule. Redshirting is a thing of the past. Every single guy that signs a Division I college football scholarship should get five years of eligibility, meaning that every single Saturday or Friday or Thursday, whatever day you end up playing for you in the MAC, every single Tuesday and Wednesday there in the fall, for every game that you play, all 85 players should be eligible to play. So meaning... If you're a true freshman and you're fourth on the depth chart, you should be able to get capable reps. If we're going to extend the regular season, the amount of games played, then you should have more players available to you, meaning that there should be no redshirt rule. I know we did away with the four-game rule, or we did away with if you play, you can't redshirt, and then they moved to a four-game rule. Just get rid of the rule altogether. You get five years. If you want to stay for three, that's your prerogative. If you want to stay for four, good for you. You want to stay all five, you're perfectly welcome. You can play in as many games as you want. That needs to happen if we do move in the direction of a 12-team playoff. And it appears, based on some of the things that were coming out yesterday, that's the direction we're headed. 
All right, time to get to our second version of Gimme Five of the Week. This time, it's for the five biggest games of the college football weekend, the way that we saw it, at least, the five biggest games. So we will start with number five. It is the Cincinnati Bearcats taking on the Arkansas Razorbacks, live from Fayetteville, 3.30 Eastern time on ESPN. Here's Luke Fickle, the head coach of the Bearcats, on the matchup. Obviously, week one, game one is always, to me, unique in college football in particular. Um, I don't know if there's another sport. I know at no other level do you not have any scrimmage or any, like, joint practice or or do anything where you uh, can test yourself a little bit different against somebody else than college football. So um, every year is kind of like this and unique, but to to obviously to start off with a game like this, um, on the road in a, in, a, in a really crazy hostile environment is going to be unique for us. I mean, uh, with having a lot more, you know, I'd say new faces. I say this to our guys all the time. They're not new faces. A lot of these guys have been here. They just haven't been maybe the recognizable faces to a lot of other people. All right, there he is, Luke Fickle, having to take his Bearcats down to Fayetteville to take on the SEC Arkansas Razorbacks. It'll be very interesting, I think, to watch this game in a lot of ways. First of all, let's look at history. The Hogs have not lost a non-conference game in Week 1 since 2006. That was against the USC Trojans. They obviously bring back an awful lot offensively. Let's look at Arkansas's offense against Cincinnati's defense. Let's start with that. Arkansas led all Power 5 teams last year with 230 rushing yards a game. Raheem Sanders... And A.J. Green, they'll be the one-two punch at running back. At some point down the road, Dominique Johnson will get back. They will become a three-headed monster at running back. And we all know what K.J. Jefferson is at quarterback. He's a physically imposing and willing runner as well. He actually led the Hogs in rushing last year. So you know that Kendall Bryles, the offensive coordinator, is going to do a lot of interesting things to make life difficult on that front that was tested time and time again against the Alabama Crimson Tide in their last matchup. So I look at Cincinnati Bearcat front. Can they hold up in the trenches? Can they hold up against a group that is known to run the football? That's the first big question mark. The second big question mark, what does it look like now on the perimeter for Cincinnati's defense? Sauce Gardner's gone. Kobe Bryant's gone. Those are the two elite corners that were both drafted in the NFL. They're both gone. Now, they have capable replacements that have played before, but never in this type of role. What does this new-look receiving core look like for the Arkansas Razorbacks as well? They lost their alpha dog in Traylon Burks. Now, in steps Warren Thompson, Keytron Jackson, Trey Knox. You have a couple of the transfers in Jaden Hazelwood from Oklahoma and Matt Landers from Toledo, but previously of Georgia. It's a pretty solid receiving core, and KJ Jefferson is an improved passer from where he was a year ago, but that might be the point that gives Arkansas a slight edge in this game. I think their rushing attack is well known, but their passing attack is extremely underrated. And I think their weapons on the perimeter are extremely underrated as well. Let's move over to Cincinnati's offense against Arkansas's defense. Desmond Ritter's gone. Jerome Ford is gone. He was the running back. And Alec Pierce is gone as well. He was the outstanding matchup nightmare on the perimeter at wide receiver. Cincinnati does return all five starters along the stellar offensive line, which could be huge because Arkansas's defense, especially the front seven defensively, has undergone significant amount of turnover. John Ridgway, their nose guard, is gone. You lose a couple of key pieces at the second level. 
those guys are gone. You do bring back Bumper Pool, who's a rangy and athletic, pretty solid, sure tackling linebacker there in the middle. He'll be the heartbeat of the defense from the middle of the defense, but you have to replace three key pieces up front that did a lot of damage to opposing offensive lines last year. The good news is in the back end, you bring back Jalen Catalan, who I think is one of the best, most instinctive safeties in all of college football. He's a complete difference maker. They also have a bunch of veterans that played a decent amount last year, but just not in featured roles. So both teams, new faces along the front seven defensively. However, guys that have played significantly in the rotation. I lean Arkansas in this game. I think it's going to be physical. I think it's going to be a difficult game. And I think it's going to be a four-quarter game that could be decided in the last two or three minutes. But Arkansas, until I see Cincinnati hold up against SEC-caliber offensive linemen and an SEC-caliber rushing attack that's one of the best in the SEC, I have to lean in favor of the Hogs. Moving on to the game that I think is the fourth best. Now, you look at the ratings and the rankings next to these two teams and say, how is this the fourth best game? Well, it's a 17-point spread. That's according to Vegas. So we'll get to that here in just a minute. But it's a massive game involving the Pac-12's Oregon against the SEC's Georgia. This game will be 3.30 Eastern time on ABC. Look forward to this matchup. Really do. Dan Lanning against his former boss, Kirby Smart. Well, here's Kirby Smart on the matchup. Where are they right now? They're uh, inexperienced, uh, young, and hopefully talented as we think they are players. Um, at some positions, more talented than others. Uh, but they're in need of playing a game. And I guess you could say that's experience, right? So they're in need of experience. But more so than experience, they need to play in a game. They need good things to happen and reaffirm their good habits. And some of them need maybe something adverse to happen and see how they respond. Because I've never coached a defensive player that didn't give up a play or get beat. So how are they going to respond to that in a game atmosphere? Because it happens every day in practice. But how are they going to respond to that in a game atmosphere? I don't know if we know that yet. Uh, and that's going to be the resiliency factor of where is this group? Because I don't think you really know until you go out in the game and have to execute it in front of the fans and against a, a really good um, opponent. And there's Kirby Smart on what should be an interesting game for him as he tries to figure out who's filling in the voids of those 15 players that were drafted off of last year's national championship roster. Let's start with Oregon on offense going against the Georgia defense. Oregon offensively last year, they've been in this position before. No one gave them a chance to head to the shoe last year and knock off the Buckeyes. They did just that. And they did so by establishing the line of scrimmage offensively and rushing for the tune of to the tune of 270 yards. I'd say that's a pretty good starting point. Will you be able to get to that point against Georgia? I would bet the house on no. Okay. Georgia prides themselves on stopping the run. That's who they are. That's what they do best. But this is an experienced offensive line to go with four extremely competent running backs in the backfield for the Oregon Ducks. Byron Caldwell, Irving, Whittington, Dollars. This is a really talented group of running backs with an experienced offensive line. But their success might very well come because of the experience they bring in at quarterback. Bo Nix has faced Georgia before. They have a long history of having played each other, not once, not twice, but three times. The problem is he's never done very well against the Georgia Bulldogs, and he scored just 21 points in the three matchups that he's faced uh, against Kirby Smart and that defense. 
His completion percentage in those games is 59%, and his QBR just 46.3, of course, 50 being the average. So he has struggled in games like this, so he's got to be smart with the football. He has as many turnovers as he does touchdowns in those matchups against the Bulldogs, and I think he's the big reason why they might be able to pull off a stunner, but he's going to have to be better than he's ever been at any point in his college career. Thank you. I talked about the run game. That'll take some of the pressure off. And if you think about Georgia, man, you can talk to me all about the recruiting classes, the talent, and how many guys were in the rotation last year. Being a starter for the first time is not easy. The game will move fast. The game will happen fast. And you tell me all you want. This is an elite, an elite defense last year that lost eight players to the NFL draft. But this defense really centers around what they have at the second level. When Georgia's defense has been at its best, it's because they have an eraser at linebacker. Well, last year they had three. They lost all three of those guys in the first 90 picks of the NFL draft. And Kobe Dean's gone, Quay Walker's gone, Channing Tindall's gone. Those are their three inside linebackers that are gone. Now, I think their off-the-ball linebackers will be ridiculously talented. But last year, on average, Georgia probably busted four or five plays a game. You say, that's that seems like a lot. No, that's, it's really not that many. Some teams are like 20. So... Four or five plays a game they have bust. Maybe this year they have eight or nine because of the youth and relative inexperience that they have at all three levels defensively. That's one question mark. And then you talk about the linebackers, talk about the defensive line. Jalen Carter's amazing. He'll be phenomenal. But we've never seen him on the field with anything less than two first-rounders bookending him. Will he be as good if he's the big attraction? I think he will be, but... It still is a legitimate question mark at this point. And who's going to be the corner opposite Keely Ringo? I think they have talent there. Just might be a, a guy that might not be as consistent as they were last year. So finding the guy opposite that, can Oregon take advantage of the inexperience or relative inexperience there in the middle of the defense, particularly at linebackers? I think that's where Kenny Dillingham, the OC for Oregon, is going to have to attack. Matchups, crossing routes, and Bo Nix going to have to work the middle of the field. Bo Nix, however, when working the middle of the field, sometimes he'll throw into traffic, and traffic means picks, and picks mean problems for the Oregon Ducks. Let's go to the Oregon defense. I think this front seven's excellent. Really, really good. Maybe not the most athletic group in college football, but very sturdy, very proud, very physical. We all know about Noah Sewell. He's going to go sideline to sideline. You'll see him in the middle of the defense. He's excellent. But not to be overlooked, Justin Flo right next to him's very, very solid as well. So that tandem at linebacker, those are the erasers. If for whatever reason there's a gash up front or the defensive line doesn't play great, boom, one of those guys might need to make a play. We all know about Georgia. I think it's the most underrated weapons in college football. I think Stetson Bennett's underrated. I think the tight ends are properly rated. I think the wide receivers are painfully underrated. This group is really talented. They have a lot of different abilities. A.D. Mitchell's the big guy. Lad McConkey's the speed. Kyrus Jackson's the catch and run. They have everything that you could possibly want. Maybe Dominic Blaylock comes into his own this year. Maybe Arian Smith, the speedster over the top. Maybe he can take the top off the defense from time to time. And then at running back, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh. I don't think there's going to be any drop-off from what they had last year. I like Georgia to win the game. But I think Oregon keeps it close. Wouldn't be surprised if they cover the number. And I think it's going to be probably a little bit more hotly contested through three quarters than Georgia Bulldog fans might like to assume. 
All right, moving on to the third best game of the weekend, at least in our eyes. That would be when Florida State, the Seminoles, take their 1-0 record after their big win against Duquesne last week. <laughs> Say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but hey, it was impressive. You took care of business. You did what you needed to do. They'll take on Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers. This game will be 7.30 Eastern time on ABC. This will be Sunday night, so get ready, and I'll be on the call. So say hello <laughs> via the Twitter machine or, hey, interact with us here on the comments. Here's Brian Kelly as he leads up to his debut leading the Bayou Bengals onto the field. I feel really good about the fact that, that our team has understood and has really bought into um, the – the process of preparing themselves for, you know, this opener. Um, there'll be other challenges along the way. You know, we're going to have to stay, you know, in our zone. There's going to be some challenges and some ups and downs that we're going to have to handle. Um, but I feel good about it based upon where we've come from since December. All right, let's start with Florida State offensively against LSU's defense. You might look at the numbers last week and feel great about what Florida State did. 406 rushing yards, three different ball carriers that went over 100 yards, a solid, impressive, and efficient showing from Jordan Travis when throwing the ball downfield, an improved receiver core. There's a lot to like about the momentum that was picked up last week with Florida State. I will say this. This is a completely different animal. I'm not ever going to discredit what was done last week, but this will be a beast. This defensive line might be the best in the SEC. BJ Olujari is one of the best edge defenders in the Southeastern Conference. And then you couple that with what might be a superstar inside. Mason Smith, number zero. You can't miss him. He's 6'6", 300 pounds, can play inside and out. He's a monster. He's an absolute star. But I think he's been the tiniest bit overshadowed because he's been the tiniest bit inconsistent. It feels like this is the year that he starts to become the player he was always bound to become. Those two are much better than anything that Florida has seen in quite a while. Florida State has seen in quite a while. So I would anticipate those two being a problem for an offensive line, that not patchwork by any stretch, but even though they had great numbers on the ground last week, the offensive line did not look dominant. I think they're going to need to play much better this week in order to neutralize a front that has a chance to become elite by season's end. I love what Florida State did in the portal this year. I think they are so much better at wide receiver, it's not even close. Johnny Wilson, big body, questionable as far as his reliability with his hands, but he's 6'7". If he can create matchup issues and be a little bit more capable of catching the football in contested catch situations, that would be massive. He's from Arizona State. Micah Pittman transfers over from Oregon. Then you add Deuce Span from Illinois. They also had Winston Wright, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be available anytime soon. He had a car accident back in the spring. So unfortunate that he won't be available. He's down from West Virginia. But they went out and they acknowledged that they were one of the worst receiving cores in the ACC last year. They immediately improved at that position. I think they're deep. Kentron Pointier feels like he's got a chance to take a step this year. Feels like some of the other guys are going to be better because of the presence of the transfers. Terry Wilson, I think, has a chance to have his best season there at Florida State. He should be steady. And I feel like Jordan Travis, the quarterback for Florida State, if he can be decisive, if he can be just, he doesn't have to just carve you up through the air. He's such a naturally gifted athlete. If he can just be a little more decisive with some of the decisions that he makes and the accuracy he displays, 
he'll be in a great spot. Far too often last year, I watch him, he pumps, he rolls right, and he runs himself oftentimes into trouble. Stay in the pocket, stay present, be accurate, be decisive. If he can do that, this offense has a chance to be so much better than a year ago. The biggest reason why I'm most optimistic about this offense, though, is not the receivers. It's not even the improvement of quarterback and the offensive line. It's at running back. They have a three-headed monster at running back. Headliner, Trey Benson. Transfer from Oregon. This guy is a monster. He looks big, physical. Guys just bounce off of him. I mean, can't bring him down. Was under-recruited a little bit. Was a COVID recruitment. Had a knee injury. This guy, I think, has a chance to be special at Florida State. Lawrence Tofili's rock solid. Treshawn Ward's rock solid. You have three really good backs, and I think this running game could come alive because of the talent that you have in the backfield. Let's move quickly to LSU's offense. I think it's going to be Jaden Daniels, a quarterback. I've been told that. I'm just assuming based on the things I'm reading. Transfer from Arizona State. He'll be able to run around. I don't think the offensive line for LSU is going to be anywhere near as good as they've been in the past. So the athleticism at quarterback with Jaden Daniels and the experience at quarterback with Jaden Daniels, I think should allow this offense to be just fine as they work their way into the season. This Florida State defense is excellent. You look the last eight games of the year last year and game number one this year, they've looked very, very solid. I think they have elite defensive tackles in Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper, really, really good players on the inside. Can they replace the edge production? Big question mark there. Jermaine Johnson's gone. Keir Thomas is gone. Can they replace the edge presence that was the best part of their roster last year? I think the second-level defenders will be good. I think the secondary at safety in particular has a chance to be elite. The corners, a bit of a question mark, but the coaches seem to be optimistic with how they've progressed this year. And they better progress because this might be the best wide receiver core in the SEC. Tennessee might have an argument there, but I think LSU has an equally good argument. Kayshawn Booty is one of the best wide receivers in America. He's, a not, he's phenomenal. But not to be overshadowed is a young guy, remember this name, Malik Neighbors. He's the real deal. Keep an eye. If for whatever reason, we know Keyshawn Booty's going to be legit. That's, that's no doubt about it. You're going to have to double cover him. If you don't, you're in trouble. But if they have another guy step up on the other side that is just as good, and it might be Malik Neighbors, be careful. This offense could take flight. Still don't have a great run game. I think Noah Kane will be fine. But all things considered, I won't give a prognostication on how this game's going to go, but I can tell you this. I think it's going to be a war in the trenches with two great, solid interior defensive players for LSU, two solid interior defensive players for FSU. It should be a four-quarter fight, and I can't wait to be there in New Orleans for this matchup. All right, moving on to the second biggest game of opening weekend. This is opening weekend. I know I constantly feel like I need to... Last week opened, I get that. But this is real opening weekend, right? That was the that was the pre-performance. This is the performance. It's Utah going on the road to play against the Florida Gators. What a matchup this is. The best hope right now for a college football playoff berth out of the Pac-12 might have to go through Gainesville. Gainesville. Here's Coach Kyle Whittingham on what it's like playing in the Swamp. Yeah, this may, may be the most hostile. I mean, it's the uh, first game of the year, night game, new coaching staff, a lot of excitement. Uh, we're sure that that place is going to be uh, very uh, very loud and, and difficult to play in. We've, we've taken, you know, every measure that we can to try to replicate that, both, both noise-wise, uh, temperature-wise. 
And so we'll see what happens, but we expect to, and they're right on top of you there. I don't know if you've ever been to the swamp, but they're, they're right on top of you. And, and uh, it's very, uh, it's, the crowd is a, is a big factor in, in games in the swamp. What an environment it's going to be. Billy Napier's debut, Whittingham with a playoff hopeful team going on the road, crossing two time zones to play in the Swamp. This game will be 7 o'clock Eastern time there on ESPN. That's the one benefit I think there is, is that it's a night game. I can promise you it won't be comfortable, though, as far as the temperature is concerned. Anyone that's been to Gainesville in September knows it's a grind. Uh, But I believe that Utah has the right culture and the right makeup to be unaffected by the circumstances. They feel like a team that's built to go on the road and dominate. I'm just telling you, I'm not concerned about the road trip. I'll say this right now. If this game was being played on a neutral site, let's say it was at AT AT&T Stadium in Dallas, and Utah was traveling there, Florida was traveling there, I like Utah by double digits. But the road trip to the swamp makes this game very, very interesting. Let's talk quickly about Utah's offense. All right, Cam Rising. If you don't know who this guy is, I'm sure you do. You watched the Rose Bowl. 19 million of you watched the Rose Bowl. So I'm sure you've seen what Cam Rising is capable of. The guy's phenomenal. Tell you, he reminds me of Tony Romo, uh, a lot like Tony Romo, how he runs and creates. And it might not always look pretty. It might not always look, it looks a little unorthodox from time to time, but man, he makes plays. He just makes plays and he makes everyone around you better. And that's kind of how Romo was. I think Romo was extremely unorthodox, but man, he just, you just couldn't stop him sometimes, especially there early in his career. He is the key to Utah making this thing happen. Tavion Thomas is tremendous, all right? Tremendous. He had a school record 21 rushing touchdowns last year. It's the third most in the FBS and averaged nearly five and a half yards a carry. They also have the core there of the offensive line that will likely be back and playing even better than they did at any point last year. Florida's defense has been much maligned. It's been long documented that this group, especially in the front seven, has been underachieving. Very underachieving, I might add, because I don't recall the last time they had a complete game wrecker up front. Feels like a while, far too long, frankly, because when I was growing up, Florida every year, it didn't matter. It's like they just had a a conveyor belt that would just put out first round picks that took over games. Who's that guy this year? You hope it's Brenton Cox. You hope it's Gervon Dexter. You hope that it's Ventrell Miller there in the middle. If he could stay healthy, of course, got hurt early with the bicep injury. So that was unfortunate that he lost all of 2021 for the most part, and they missed him significantly. But the front seven defensively better be ready to go because you know Utah is going to be physical. You know Utah is going to try to lean on Florida, and they are going to test them in ways that Florida won't like being tested in the first game of the season. Utah, I think, as crazy as this may sound, might be the more physical team. You wouldn't often say that about the Florida Gators. Moving on to Florida's offense. It starts with Anthony Richardson. He is the the straw that stirs the drink. He has to be great. We know this Utah defense is going to be aggressive. We know they're going to pin their ears back and try to rush the quarterback. So Anthony Richardson has to use his mobility to keep that defensive line honest. I also think that Florida's offensive line, albeit likely improved, probably still not yet a strength of the team. I think they'll be better than they were last year, but they were a liability last year. This year, I don't think they're a liability. I just don't think they're going to be a dominant group just yet. In time, Billy Napier will get them there. I genuinely believe that. I think their running back room is excellent. Montrell Johnson, Naquan Wright, Lorenzo Lingard, Demarcus Bowman, 
is a deep group at running backs. You know they're going to try to run the football. Montreal Johnson, by the way, is a transfer from Louisiana, so he's very familiar with the system. He knows what to do. I think the weapons on the outside, not what we're accustomed to seeing from the Florida Gators. I think Justin Shorter is big, but he's not crazy fast. I think Ricky Pearsall, him getting back is very, very important. So I think those two guys can create some opportunities in one-on-one, but I think they're going to have to play their tail off because if you look at what Utah has in the front seven defensively, they have guys that can flat out get after you, including Momo Diabate, who transferred from Florida to Utah and is now filling in for Devin Lloyd there at middle linebacker. So he's familiar with what Florida is, not this system because he had been with Billy Napier, but he's familiar with what Florida is and how you might be able to attack Anthony Richardson. He saw him every day in practice last year, so he's familiar with the quarterback. I think this is going to be a really, really, really fun game to watch. Should be physical, should be exciting, and should come down to the very end. But ultimately, I think Utah is just a little bit further ahead. It feels like this has been a year for Utah, 2022, that has been years in the making. Like they've just slowly and steadily just gotten better and better and better. And this is the year that's been circled. Florida is going to be great in time. I have so much faith in Billy Napier. I'm just not sure they're ready just yet to take down a team that has been built for years for this moment. I think the veteran leadership that's on Utah will be able to go into the swamp and pull out a close victory. I'm talking final minute of the game, maybe a drive late, kick a field goal to win it. I think it's coming down to the wire. It could be a photo finish, but I lean in favor of the Utes in this one. All right, moving on to the game of the weekend in my eyes, and it's partly not because of the spread, not because of how competitive the game may be, but how can it not be the game of the weekend? It's Notre Dame against Ohio State. Those two brands, iconic brands, two teams that are ranked in the top five, it will do the biggest number. Most people will watch it, and it will likely be a significant, significant impactor on what the narrative will be about either one of these two teams moving forward. Fair or unfair, there's going to be massive overreaction to the outcome of this game. Just telling you. We look forward to seeing how it goes, but here's Ryan Day on what it's like to see these great brand names playing against each other. It's hard to probably appreciate right now because there's just so much going on, but um, but when you think about what an opportunity this is for Saturday night, just getting Notre Dame and Ohio State together, um, you know, first game of the year, 100th year anniversary of the, sh- of the shoe, all of the things combined. Uh, what, an, what a great opportunity. And that's, that's what college football is all about, is bringing people back and, um, you know, making it special. And, and this is about our players. And I talked to him the other day about when you grow up and you're 7, 8, 9, 10 years old and you watch a game on TV on Saturday night and then you wake up the next morning on Sunday and you're playing in the backyard and all of a sudden you're taking on the personality of, of guys who you watched the night before. And uh, you can see a couple of them nod. And I say, well, that's going to be you. you know. And I try to remind guys that every year when we play in environments like this. And that's the opportunity that's there. So that's why we got to work so hard this week to be a competitive excellence on Saturday. So uh, working really hard to make sure that we're prepared for this thing. Based on the tail of the tape, Ryan Day should feel really good about what they have coming into this season. Look, we'll start with Ohio State on offense going against Notre Dame's defense. I, I don't need to tell you about Ohio State's weapons. Like If you've listened to this show or if you've listened to any preseason prognostication, nobody's going to argue against Ohio State having the best weapons in college football. C.J. Stroud's phenomenal. 
Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is the best wide receiver in America because of how he separates, how he operates in the slot, how he's friendly, how he always creates separation. He's just extremely reliable. And what I saw from him in the game against Utah in the Rose Bowl, I saw a run after the catch ability that I didn't know he had. I mean, he clearly has breakaway speed and is poised for a massive season, but he's not to be outdone because he got Marvin Harrison. You got other guys on this roster that are just outrageously talented. Travion Henderson at running back. Some think he's the best running back in the game. I would lean a little bit away from that. I think he's a top five running back without question. But top running back in the game to me goes to either Sean Tucker at Syracuse or to B. John Robinson at Texas. But Travion Henderson to be in the conversation tells you all you need to know. And he's only going into year two. So what's he going to do this year? I happen to think he'll put up numbers that are sensational. Here's the problem that I have with Ohio State. I don't think they're very physical. Uh, I'm just going to flat out say that. I think this team has gotten less physical over time. And I hope that there's been a challenge issued from Ryan Day to his offensive line because those guys look the part. They're the prettiest looking offensive line maybe in North America. That includes the NFL. Guys that are 6'8 and 6'6 and big and strong and physical and they just get on off the bus. You look down at Ohio State's offensive line, you're like, goodness gracious, man, look at those guys. And then you watch them, and it's like, why don't they push anyone around? I mean, it's borderline frustrating at times to watch how little movement they get at the point of attack at times, given just how physically imposing they are and what their stature is against the competition that they're playing against. I have my concerns about them being able to just maul opposing teams, which is okay because you have plenty of firepower on the outside. Notre Dame defensively, it's going to be tough, I think, for them to hold up in coverage. Uh, I don't know how you can. And Marcus Freeman, he's the defensive mind that is now the head coach, and he'll be helping be the architect of the plan that they're going to put in. I really don't know how you match up with Ohio State. If you get on islands against these guys at wide receiver, you're dead. It's over. If you allow quick passing game to turn into run after catch, it's over. You have to mix coverages. You have to constantly be changing. You have to constantly be shifting. And you have to surprise C.J. Stroud occasionally by bringing the guy to overload his protection. He's pretty dang good, by the way, of getting the ball out on time, especially knowing if there's an unblocked defender that's blitzing off the edge. I think that this is a remarkably difficult offense to play against. It's insanely difficult. But I think if you bring a blue-collar approach, and you want to be super physical against their offensive line, I think you stand a fighting chance. The other thing that Notre Dame's defense has to do, they cannot allow big plays. If you look at Ohio State, they thrive on the big play potential of this offense. But if you force them to snap the ball and you just keep it in front, and you rally up, make a tackle, rally up, make a tackle, and then in the red zone, because they're going to get there, Ohio State between the 20s, I don't want to say they're unstoppable, but they're really dang close. Between the 20s, they're going to move the football. But when they get into the 20s and the field condenses, that's when you have to button up the screws. If you can force field goals as opposed to touchdowns, that's a moral victory. And moral victories win in games like this. Let's move over now to Notre Dame's offense against Ohio State's defense. Tyler Buckner is somewhat unproven at quarterback. We know that. But I think he's got superstar potential. He's athletic. He can throw it. I don't know if he's going to be as accurate as maybe some of the predecessors in Ian Book and, and Cone, 
but I do think the potential is there. I also like his wide receiver core. I know that they've had an injury or two, but I like the receiver core. I think Lorenzo Styles is a real deal, has a chance to really break out this year. Michael Mayer is the best end-of-line tight end in the game. I know Georgia fans will lose their mind when I say that. Brock Bowers, to me, is a flex guy. He's different, okay? I'm talking end-of-line, traditional tight end position. Brock Bowers is Travis Kelsey. And then you look at Michael Mayer, he's George Kittle, okay? So it's both are great, just different. So understand where I'm coming from. I think Michael Mayer is a real problem for whoever it is that he's playing against. Couple that with a home run hitter and Chris Tyree. Can he handle the load that he might have to handle? Knowing that he's not the biggest back in the world, I think he can, but it's going to be key to get him out on the perimeter, get him involved in the passing game, get him some short, short toss sweeps, things outside the tackles, because that's where I think they can take advantage. Ohio State's defense has been long documented what some of the struggles would be. They are not gap sound. They didn't do a good job of mixing coverage and their personnel hasn't been as good as it once was. All those things hopefully will change now because Jim Knowles is going to put them in position to be aggressive. They will come after you. They will heat you up. For a while there, Ohio State, you knew exactly what they were going to be in. They were going to have a safety in the middle of the field. They're going to have two corners and man coverage. They were going to have three linebackers on the field built to stop the run. Well, that's going to change. I expect them to be more athletic at the second level defensively. And I think they'll do a better job of mixing things up with their coverage and not relying exclusively on personnel advantages here under Jim Knowles. They obviously have some really good players, some really good players. And I'm excited to see those players blossom in this system. I think Ohio State wins the game comfortably. When I say that, comfortably to me is about two touchdowns. I think 17 is way too many. I think Notre Dame will have a good plan. I think Notre Dame will have a difficult time stopping Ohio State, but I also think Ohio State might have a difficult time stopping Notre Dame. Wouldn't be surprised if this is a high-scoring affair, and I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame keeps it close for the better part of three and a half quarters. So I think the Buckeyes win the game and win the game comfortably, but I would not lay 17 and a half points. It feels like way too many to me. Hey, it's so great that college football is back. We're so happy that you're here with us. Enjoy the games tonight. I mean, it's going to be amazing because tonight starts five consecutive days of college football. Five straight. So rest up, ladies and gentlemen. If you need to take a nap this afternoon, just tell your boss. Just got to go take a quick siesta. It's going to be good. Got a big couple days ahead. All right. So rest up and make sure that your mind is right because we are going to dial in and we are going to dial in significantly here over the next five days. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
Uh, tomorrow is College Colors Day. So send us your pictures and, and post them online at alwayscfb using the hashtag College Colors Day. Like, have some fun with it, like, like we did with our guys. How about our guys over here at Omaha? Here's Cam Hayward and Hayden Walsh from, quote, not just football. Hey, guys, it's College Colors Day, and you know the Ohio State Scarlet and Gray is the best jersey. You got the Scarlet. You have the Gray. You know what those mean. It's, it's heat. It's joy. It's courage. It's passion. It's a joy to play with the Scarlet right, and Gray. Stop talking. It's maize and blue, the winged helmet. It's not even a question. Scarlet and Gray is beyond hideous. Maize and blue, it looks good on the eyes. It looks good everywhere. The winged helmet is way better than those stupid Buckeye stickers. Go blue, maize and blue, baby. Whoa, 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 whoa. Ohio State, the legacy. It's what we do. We win in these jerseys. Maize and blue, they may have got one, but they ain't getting no more. Winged helmets, maize and blue. Maize and blue, yeah. We talk about these, the Buckeye leaves. It's scarlet and gray all day. Participation trophy stickers or winged helmets. You choose. Mm, whatever. Nobody pays attention to Maze and Blue anyway. It's a bunch of old people that go to the games anyway. The defending champions of the Big Ten. Yes, you're right. Maze and Blue. That's your first time in forever. The only as good as your last game. And we plan on stopping you in our last game. Maze and Blue. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Maze and Blue. The colors matter. They don't. But Ohio State does. Scarlet and gray. Peace out. All right, take a picture of you wearing your college colors. We'll post it at alwayscfb. Use the hashtag college colors day. Just take a picture. It'll be fun. We'll have a great time with it. I'll send a picture of mine. I don't know what I'm going to wear yet. Everyone says I'm anti-Bama, so maybe I'll wear like orange. No, wouldn't be caught dead wearing orange. But hey, no, nothing but love to Tennessee and all the other schools that wear orange. Uh I won't say Auburn. I couldn't wear Auburn colors. I can't even joke about that. What am I doing? Uh, all right. Thanks for being with us. Like so much fun being with you today. It's been a blast getting into these five matchups, hearing from these coaches. We have so much to look forward to. Tonight's games are going to be phenomenal. Get things kicked off. We got Penn State, Purdue. We got the backyard brawl. We got some other, we got Oklahoma State in action. We got a lot to look forward to tonight. So buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. It is here. Hit us up at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at alwayscfb. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It really helps the show out. For all of us here at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. Enjoy the games tonight. And remember, it's Always College Football.